It's Monday. Let's learn some Greek. I love doing that. I love studying Greek, and my favorite person to study is with Chris Palmer, and he's written a great book uh, coming out at the end of this month called Strange Scriptures, Deciphering 52 Weird, Bizarre, and Curious Verses from the New Testament. Chris, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Bill, and uh, we're at it again, I guess. Yeah, we are, and I was just uh, I was quickly Googling your name because I wanted to uh, get your bio up right in front of me again, and then I got carried away because I Googled Chris Palmer and I got another Chris Palmer, and I thought, <laughs> I thought, well, no, no, no. It's, Chris Palmer is a teacher, speaker, author, and environmental wildlife film producer who has swum, <laughs> swum with dolphins and whales and has come yeah. face-to-face with sharks. Yeah, yeah, he's my competition for uh, the <laughs> demographics. He's, a, he's, a, he's got, like, books on photography and stuff. And then there's a football coach who used to coach for the Cleveland Browns, so he may be the other Chris Palmer you find. So. Yeah. So, Rosie, maybe you can get this guy on after the break. I mean, I want to see how it goes with Chris in the first segment. Deal. But if, if, it, if it feels like the energy is dropping. If call, he doesn't provide. Call the guy that, is, that's, that swims with dolphins and whales. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Wait, wait. Can you just, like, not listen for a second? Chris, do you, do you swim with dolphins? Right, right. A little. So on the weekends. On the weekends. Okay, great. So, Chris, I'm curious as to when... Uh, when we're going to have a big celebration party of your your book uh, coming out on August 31st, can we maybe yeah. get like five copies and we'll give it away to listeners in a drawing kind of thing when the time comes? Yeah, I will, for sure. I will send it to you guys after this show, and I get the copies myself this week, and uh, they will head they will make their way to Minneapolis over Lake Michigan as soon as I get them. Yeah, that's sweet because uh, I know li- people love opportunities to be in on a drawing to get one of the books because we do offer a lot of books here at Faith Radio, and we can't expect people to buy. 18 books a week, let alone <laughs> well, read them. Well, they, they got a, I'll, I'll be sure you get them. We'll send five and uh, I'll sign them for you. If that, if my signature is ever worth anything. <laughs> I would love that. So let's go back into studying Greek because I love it. And you're helping us all learn more. And I love that we can uh, learn some of the, even the, the strange scriptures. I know you've got something from your book to yeah. share today. Yeah. Okay, so let's take a, a journey into the Gospels today and talk about the book of Mark. Um, now, we've, we've talked here about the idea of this literary feature called Paratexas, where there are these connective conjunctions, and that would be translated the word and, um, that we, we see. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice, if you look at it, that 63% of the verses that we have marked out begin with the word and. Um, but they don't all get translated. If you look at the Greek text, the U- UBS 5, you'll see that every verse almost begins with a K. Or K uh, it looks like a K. It's a cal- uh, Kappa, Alpha, Yoda, or K-I, Chi. You see these all throughout the Greek text. I mean, they're just hard to miss, and sometimes the translators don't put them in because they're like, eh, this doesn't need to go here. It's not really good English. But they serve a purpose, and what they do is they connect all of Mark's gospel, and they want you to know, to pay attention to how this is connecting. That's very important to say because in seeing those, we should understand that every story that we see in Mark, if they seem separate, they're not separate. They're not on their own. And we should pay attention to how the the stories are arranged because they usually serve as a way of getting more theology or more understanding from the story. Let me digress for a second and say that as Westerners, we look at Scripture. This is part of the reason why I wrote Strange Scriptures. 
Because we look at the text as Westerners. We want everything up front. Give me the point. Get to it. Get to it. Get to it. Give me point one, point two, point three. It's how our sermons are delivered. That's not how literary writers at the time really spoke. They just told stories, and they expected you in those stories to sort of fill in the details because that's what they're getting at. So we should pay attention to the arrangements. I set out to say to look at Mark chapter 6. Interesting story in verse number 7. Jesus calls the 12 to him, and he sends them out two by two, right? So he sends them out. He gives them power. And he gives them authority over unclean spirits, okay? And then you see them come back in chapter 30, excuse me, verse number 30. It says the apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done. And they're like, yeah, look at Lord, look what's happened. Uh, you know, we um, cast out devils, blah, blah, blah. And they're really excited, okay? But in between, you see this really odd story of John the Baptist getting his head cut off. You know, it's kind of like, what does this have to do with Jesus sending out the 70? It's almost, though it almost seems misplaced. But then when you look in the Greek text, you'll notice that Akai connects, okay, all three of those stories. So there is a connection. And what I would suggest, and I do think that most theologians who observe this would suggest this, is the placement of that story in the middle of him sending them out and them coming back is suggesting that they're now— that John the Baptist has been, his head's been cut off. They're replacing John the Baptist as the one who heralds the ministry of Christ, the kingdom of God. And it looks good for them now, but they can also expect as disciples and as people preaching the kingdom that they could end up having a similar fate as John the Baptist and get their head cut off. And guess wow. what? Most of them did. <laughs> so this is serving, the yeah. arrangement of this is serving wow. as a, as, yeah. As that's, a, a wow, real, that's a wild moment, Chris. I need a pause. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. Keep going, but it's just a wild moment. It's a wild moment, but it really speaks to discipleship. And I think that when we preach the gospel and talk about the kingdom, we really need to give pause here for a second and remember that as preachers and people declaring the kingdom of God, what discipleship truly is. It's following amidst persecution, suffering, and really laying our lives down for the gospel. That doesn't mean we ought to die for the gospel. Uh, most of us won't. But it means that our attitude and disposition towards the seriousness of the call should be taken into consideration before we, before we get into what we get into. Mm-hmm. I like that. I bookmarked a page uh, a week or so ago with a little note to myself, bring this up to Chris Palmer next time I talk to him. And it was uh, an article written by Craig Keener, and Craig's a, kind of a regular guest on the show. And I'm cool. just a big fan of Craig and a really smart yeah. guy. And he was mm-hmm. talking about... Um, understanding words that they all have origins. And he said, for example, in English, nice is a really friendly term, but in Latin, it could mean ignorant or foolish. Uh-huh. So he said, I could misunderstand someone calling me nice as that person calling me ignorant. And yeah. we know that English doesn't work that way. And we shouldn't expect the ancient languages to work that way either. And yeah. I thought it was interesting with the the Greek word for repent and help me pronounce this correctly. That's now. Met, met to now, and div- yep. and divided into two parts, uh, of which the second now, if I'm saying that right, is related yeah. to thinking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Therefore, they say repent simply means a change of mind, but we know that's not true. It's a, mm-hmm. it's um, it's a in it's in the old test. I mean, in the New Testament, it's a sense of turning away, turning your life in a different direction. It would be absolutely so. 
I mean, if you consider, first of all, Dr. Keener, I have tremendous respect for Dr. Keener. I mean, really, if I was in a room with him, I'd probably want his autograph. I'd probably take a picture for my Instagram. He's just a brilliant, brilliant guy. You know, guy. Chris, I feel that way, too. I, not that we want to fuss <laughs> over Craig Keener right now, but right. He, wrote a, he wrote a commentary on the book of Acts. The commentary is 4,500 pages long. Yeah, and it was like he used, I think, 110,000 sources. And for my thesis, I'm bragging that I have like 800, so, you know. And I better be one of the 800, Chris. Right. I'm not, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to try to sneak in an Easter egg, which means like I tip my hat to you without right. people knowing. It'll Thank be you. in there. All right, okay, let's so, get back to Craig now. Yeah, so he's a brilliant guy. Uh, he writes a book like every five minutes. He, he has to, <laughs> we, we always joke and say he probably writes books in the shower and while he's sleeping, uh, because how he writes them as fast as he does, I don't know. But he's correct, and I... Look at me saying Craig Keener's correct. That <laughs> <laughs> just made me laugh out loud. Right, right. But uh, I hope he, if he's listening, Dr. Keener, I'm with you on everything here. Um, so in the sense of the fact that the kingdom was being preached, so they would have this governmental idea to it. I, I was at a conference recently. Frederick Long, who's an associate of Dr. Keener at Asbury, put up all these words on the board. It was interesting. You had things like repentance, um, faithfulness, um, ecclesiology, or ecclesia, all these terms. And he said, take your brain off for a second. Don't think about church. Just try to, what, what do all these terms have in common? Redemption, righteousness, blah, blah, blah. And it was clear. They're governmental terms. They're governmental terms. Before they became church terms, before mm. there was you know, a church that was formed in Acts 2, okay? These were governmental terms. So wow. look at repentance as a governmental term. It's switching your allegiance from the world, the cosmos, or however they're looking at it, to following the kingdom of God. And that doesn't mean, like, you get up one day and just pledge allegiance to the Christian flag. What it really means is simply that you're going to do things the way Jesus does them. When you are tempted to not love your enemy, you're going to love them. When you can't stand somebody who has done you wrong, you're going to serve them. When somebody says, give me your coat, I'm going to go further than that. I'm going to do and go over and above for my enemy. That was what Jesus says. I talk about this in my book, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Perfection there in context is referring to loving some, uh, the radical form of love that Jesus was introducing that goes further than loving the people that, that, that love you back. It's loving your enemy. That would have been really hard saying at that time. Um, and that would have been repentance. So I think sometimes we're like, yeah, repentance means... I mean, thank God for Billy Graham. We love him. And that's nothing, there's no insult. I would never, I have tremendous respect for him. But the idea that repentance maybe is just coming to an altar, um, it goes beyond that. It's actually living your life like Christ. And in doing that, you're turning your allegiance to follow the kingdom of God. So if you look at it from that standpoint, uh, in Judea or Galilee of Judea, or Galilee and Judea of Israel at that time, okay, Palestine, um, that would have been turning their allegiance from Caesar, turning their allegiance from Herod, turning their allegiance from the temple and the hypocrites in the temple, and turning it to follow Jesus. I think that's kind of what it's getting at at that point. Yeah, it's obviously important that we let the Bible speak for itself mm-hmm. and not try to speak something into a passage. But it's just so mm-hmm. important to to remind ourselves that even ancient languages evolve. They absolutely evolve. Everything is liquid, and uh, that's why it's a helpful study to um, to go back and try to see what was being used historically. In Strange Scriptures, one of my methodologies that I use is to consider the historical context of the word, particularly in the first century when the text was being written, and to show sometimes the development. It went from this to this to this, and we need to catch the word uh, in the time that it was being written in. 
uh, to see what it means. And, and I think that proves to be very helpful at times. Mm-hmm. I think we've got time for another one, Chris, if we can uh, look at another yes, passage from uh, the strange scriptures, deciphering 52 weird, bizarre, and curious verses from the New Testament, a book coming out at yeah. the end of the month by uh, Pastor Chris Palmer, all the way from Novi, Michigan. I got a long one and a short one. Should I go with the short one before break? Yep, let's that's, do the short one now. Okay, so it says very simply um, in Second First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 that great is the mystery of ungodliness. And this is a really interesting term because, um, it, excuse me, the mystery of lawlessness. And it's basically the Apostle Paul saying that wickedness is a mystery. Second Thessalonians 2.7, uh, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. This idea of lawlessness, okay, is, is suggesting that there is, it says it's at work, energeo, it means that it's present tense, it's working. Paul is suggesting here that behind evil there is a mystery. One of the things that I talk about in this book is the Mandalay Bay shooting uh, that took place on October 1st, 2017. Interestingly enough, there was a story where there was a reverend Catholic priest from Chicago who goes in after the Mandalay Bay releases the floor back to the hotel. The hotel wanted the priest to come in and bless the floor. And as he walked to the room, CNN reports that he could feel or sense that there was an evil that was present that pushed back on him. Okay, he was acknowledging the reality of evil as very mysterious, and people that were with them, who were even non-believers, sensed it. And I talk about how, you know, regardless of their feelings or not, there is a mystery about evil that works in this world. Why people do what we do, we don't know. When great evil happens, great tragedy happens, why does that? Why do they do that? Evil defies rationally, okay, our understanding. Enlightenment thinkers couldn't really put their hands on evil. What is it? Where does it come from? They couldn't. They couldn't put it together in words. And I think Paul is alluding to that here in 2 Thessalonians 2, seven, suggesting that evil defies our comprehension, and, uh, and it's at work in the world. And that's why, as believers, we need to put our hope in Christ, because he's the one that when we're in him, we're secure and we're safe from, from that evil. Spot on, Chris. And I love what you just said, that evil defies our senses. Is that what you said? Yeah. Our senses, our rationale, our explanation. Yes. Oh, completely. Oh, that's a yeah. very important point. Uh, Chris Palmer is my guest. We're talking about his book, Strange Scriptures, deciphering 52 weird, bizarre, and curious verses from the New Testament, Greek for the week. Um, We'll take a short break and be right back with lots more with Chris. Reverend Chris Palmer. He's the founder and pastor of Light of Today Church in Novi, Michigan, and founder of Chris Palmer Ministries. He's hosted the popular podcast, Greek for the Week. And he's uh, my regular guest as we talk about Greek. I I think that there's um, always a lot to learn. And Chris, I appreciate you helping. Now, you said you had a short story before the break and now a longer story now. So let's, let's get to it. Yeah. Let's get to it. So let's talk about this uh, dichotomy that takes place in John. I'm going to get to the Greek, but I want to set something up quickly because, you know, with Greek studies, something I'm trying to help my students understand is that, you know, we're so often used to just opening W. Vines and picking a Greek word and, and going to town on it. 
Um, but we should kind of see how something, a theme develops, one of the best ways to study Scripture is to look at how a theme works itself out through the entire duration of a gospel. In John's case, uh, this idea of phos, which is the word for light, and nux, which is the Greek word for darkness. Okay, they're three-letter words, so the audience can remember these. Phos means light, so like photography, and then nux uh, is darkness. I'm not sure if we have any derivatives in English from that, but anyway. So this gets introduced, okay, in John chapter 1. And you see here where it says, in him was life, the light is the light of men. Okay, and so you have this idea of light. So light represents Christ, it represents his work. And then you see darkness come into play uh, with the idea of Nicodemus, who was in darkness, et cetera, et cetera. And then you see in, uh, that this is something that John is consistent with uh, throughout his text. You, you come to um, John chapter 13. Something is really, uh, really interesting um, here you'll find that um, Judas is with Christ. He takes a communion, and it says here that after receiving the morsel of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. Right? He tells you that Judas takes communion, or the Eucharist, if you will, and he goes out and it's night. Now, if you're reading this for the first time, you might say to yourself, well, this simply means that you know, it's nighttime, but it's an odd detail that, that John gives, and he does the same thing with Nicodemus when he says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, but it's like a reversal. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, and he's moving away from darkness. It seems that Judas is going into darkness. He goes into the darkness, okay, and this plays itself out really, really ironically in a way that I think when you're reading this story as a reader, you might catch this at times. Because after the Passover meal is administered, after Jesus speaks in John 14, 15, 16, 17, it says that in verse 18, 1, Jesus had spoken these words. He went out with his disciples across the brook, brook Kidron, where there was a garden, and he and his disciples entered. Now, if you've been to Jerusalem, okay, if you've been to the Mount of Olives, you'll know that this is at night, it's dark. Back then, they didn't have street lamps. It probably was difficult to find their way there. It's a brook. They got to cross it. It's rocky. It's hilly. Okay, there's stone. You just you understand the obstructions are there. doesn't suggest anything to you about them needing to find their way using lamps, torches, or nothing. They just get there. But there's a really interesting detail that tells you here in verse number three that Judas, he shows up at the same place with a band of soldiers, and they show up with lanterns, torches, weapons. So the fact that he tells you have lanterns and torches tell you that they were in need of another alternative source of light. I think that's a metaphor. I think that's a play on Judas being in darkness, whereas disciples of Christ weren't in darkness because they had the light, that Judas himself was in need of light. I think that is speaking to the fact that, or showing the state of Judas, that he was that that much in darkness, as well as the band of soldiers, the Pharisees and the priests that they were with, that they themselves were in darkness and were in need of light. That's kind of the second wild moment, Chris. So I'm glad I didn't call the <laughs> photographer, env environmental wildlife film producer, who swims with dolphins and whales, because this is good stuff. I think he'd be interesting to talk to, all right? <laughs> oh, I definitely want to talk to him at some point, but not not right now. So I yeah. think I, I find that absolutely fascinating. It's like I want to go through that one more time. It's so interesting. 
there is a... Rosie's there, shaking her head, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it, of course, people could say, well, you know, here's the thing. The way that the gospel writers were writing at that time was to be ironic, to throw punchlines at you where you catch things. And seeing that detail just drives home further the point. I mean, you sit back and you think about it, like, wow, Judas was really in a bad state. I mean, he was that much in darkness. Um, and it, it speaks to also the religious leaders at that time, the high priests, the people who had spent their time studying the scriptures, analyzing the text, looking for things. They couldn't see Christ when he was right in front of them, and they were in darkness. This also suggests to us as believers the importance of reading scripture with the help of the Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate us. And, you know, as, as scholars, I know that Dr. Keener has has, has discussed this in his book, Spirit Hermeneutics, which I actually did my thesis around when I was in working for my master's, uh, my MTS. Um, the, in, in, you know, finding ways. How do we as believers allow the Spirit's help in, in making an interpretation? But I think the consensus is that we need the veil to be lifted off of eyes so that we can see Christ in the text and we can we can know his work lest we miss what he's doing right in front of us. Mm-hmm. Reverend Chris Palmer is my guest. Strange scriptures deciphering 52 weird, bizarre, and curious verses from the New Testament. It's from Greek for the Week. He is a podcaster and is a Greek professor and scholar and international teacher. And we get him uh, like once a month, which is fantastic. Chris, I think we've got about three and a half more minutes what can we squeeze in in that time in the in the world of Greek? About three and a half more minutes here. Okay, so I think there, there's an interesting scripture that we could look at, Hebrews 13, 2, which says, Do not neglect to show hospitality, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now, we've heard this scripture used, and there's an ongoing debate, and I don't want to be uh, dismissive of anybody in how they interpret this verse and how they look at this verse. Um the word here, neglect, uh, comes from to lose thought of something. Simply don't lose thought of individuals. It's in the present tense. It means something that should be done continuously. Keep keep in mind, stranger, don't ever forget to be kind to others, and don't ever forget to welcome them. We downplay this in Western culture. Hospitality was huge in the Eastern world at that time. It's not so big here. You know, We invite people over for chips and salsa, and we want them gone by 9 o'clock. That wasn't <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was, have some guacamole, we'll put some hot dogs on the grill, then out you go. Not the case in those days. And he was especially telling them to be mindful. Now, when someone say angels, does that mean that angels are showing up? Could they, could they show up? I think the gist of the idea here is understanding that when we host people that God sends our way, okay, there's a blessing in it for us. Similar to the fact that when Abraham showed kindness and hospitality, to the angels, okay, in Genesis chapter 18, without knowing it, he was showing kindness and hospitality to Yahweh or Jehovah. So in a sense, we should show kindness and hospitality to the people that God sends in our life, knowing that in doing that to them, we're doing it to God. In return, there's a blessing in us. I think the challenge in this is to understand how many blessings have we missed or could we miss or are to be gained by showing hospitality to people that, that, that God places in our life. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to bring them into your house, or it might. But it's giving our best to be servants of other people, especially in this case, other Christians and believers that are on our way. And it's a challenging verse, and I think that uh, that's the gist of the verse. Chris, I didn't think you were going to be so convicting towards the end, the end of the hour. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I thought you were going to leave on kind of a light, easy, easy-going note, right. but you didn't. You, right, right. you convicted right, right. us, especially me. Uh, 
Right, we're all convicted. Well, that's good, right? So then, uh, you know, we're convicted to show to, to have people over. And so, if anybody wants to invite me to their house for a T-bone steak or a porterhouse, just right. let me know. Call. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, Chris. I'm loving this. I I love learning from your book, and I'm excited that you know maybe in a couple of weeks we'll we'll get those signed copies and we'll. Yep. We'll do a drawing and we'll let people get one of their signed copies from Chris Palmer of Strange Scriptures in their very own hands. That would be great. I'll have them to you ASAP, Bill, as soon as I get them. Thanks, Chris, and I'll talk to you next time. And I've got some other questions I'm saving for uh, Chris Palmer. Uh, When I come across a Greek word I want more on, I I put it in a file called Questions for Chris. (laughs) And if you talk to Dr. Keener, tell him I said hello. I will indeed. I'm his biggest fan. Yeah, I will indeed. Let him know. I said, tell him a guy he doesn't know says hello. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Have a great night. Bless him. Bless him. Yep. Thanks so much. Reverend Chris Palmer was my guest. And the book, again, is Strange Scriptures. It's coming out the 31st of this month. It's deciphering 52 weird, bizarre, and curious verses from the New Testament. That's from the Greek. It's going to be a great, uh, great book, as he has shared so much of it already. We're going to have him back on, and we'll have a drawing for five copies. Not today, of course, but next time when we get him on, he'll have the books ready to go. So that will be something to look forward to. That's our show for the day. I want to thank uh, Patrick and David Miles and Rosie and uh, Joel Malik, and then also Chris Palmer. It was really a great show. I learned a lot. I hope you learned a lot, too. And I'm excited for tomorrow. Tomorrow's, I said to Rosie, we're going to only book people whose name starts with an A. So Andy Scudinga, Dr. Andy Scudinga is going to be joining me, as well as uh, Ace Collins. Ace has written nearly 100 books. The guy is amazing and just a delight. So that's all for tonight. Have a great night, everyone. As you lay your head on that pillow, just know that God is working out his great plan in your life, and he loves you, and I do too. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.